Hello and welcome to The Climate Conversation, the podcast of the Environmental and Energy Study Institute. I am Dan Brissett, the Executive Director. And as always, I am joined by my intrepid co-host, Sydney O'Shaughnessy. Hi, Sydney. How are you doing today? Hi, Dan. Doing well. Great. Well, we have a fantastic show lined up for our listeners today. We're going to be speaking with an expert uh, in climate science. And Sid, I think you will get to do the honors today and uh, introduce our guest. Yeah, I would love to. So I'm very excited for our guest today. His name is Dr. Salim Ali. He is a member of the United Nations International Resource Panel, as well as a distinguished professor of energy environment at the University of Delaware and a senior fellow at the Columbia Center on Sustainable Investment at Columbia University. We are so excited to have him here to talk about the latest emissions gap report published by the um, United Nations Environment Program. Great. Thank you very much for the invitation, Sydney and Dan. Of course. And Dan, can you break down what this report is? Of course. Um, the emissions uh, gap report that we'll be talking about today uh, is a really important document uh, and collection of sort of um, scientific information consensus around uh, the state of global climate change. Um, and it comes out, it's called the gap report because it comes out sort of on the odd year. Uh, around other UN documents. And it provides a yearly overview of the difference between where greenhouse gas emissions are predicted to be in 2030 and where they should be to avoid the worst impacts of climate change. So as climate policymakers are staying abreast of the science and the sort of the state of the climate, the gap report fills a really important role and helps keep policymakers updated uh, on a regular basis in between some of the larger, um, uh, more comp complete or comprehensive reports that are issued on uh, from the international community. Yeah, and we thought that Dr. Salim Ali would be a great person to bring on because um, he is someone who has been very involved with the emissions gap reports in the past. And we wanna make sure we have an expert to discuss the role of the report, what the latest report's findings are and why the report is important for policymakers to know about in general. Great, thank you. Uh, indeed, uh, the emissions gap report has been now a regular feature of uh, the climate conversations at the UN and uh, indeed at the national level. Uh, the report is in its 11th year of publication. And this year, of course, because of the COVID pandemic, it has taken on a particularly novel texture. The report uh, focuses on the G20 group of countries. Uh, this is the 20 largest uh, economies of the world. And it's also a group which includes not just the traditional uh, dominant political powers at the UN, but also those countries which are uh, sometimes marginalized because of different political systems. So it, it's important in that sense that it covers a wide swath of the international community. And the G20 group of countries collectively contribute about 78% of total greenhouse gas emissions. So they are quite significant in that context as well. Uh, this year, the report um, noted that because of the pandemic, we had a 7% decline in emissions in 2020. Uh, up to the point where it was published uh, end of October, early November, that's when they did the calculations and that seems to be the case fairly accurately. Uh, however, there was a warning that we cannot get complacent 
that the 7% decline in the long run does not mean much. If you just use that 7% decline in terms of the uh, targets for climate change uh, mitigation, it would only amount to 0 0.01 degrees Celsius decline uh, in terms of the Paris Agreement targets. So if we just went ahead with business as usual in terms of our uh, move forward with this one little blip, that's not going to solve the problem. However, the report does highlight that we have an opportunity for bouncing forward rather than bouncing back. <laughs> so the, the bouncing forward would be a green reset uh, where we use this as an opportunity for both uh, social and behavioral change and countries use this as an opportunity to reconsider their policies. So the report goes into great depth with the, the, the kinds of areas where the changes have occurred due to COVID. Um, the largest change has been in terms of uh, individual mobility ground transportation reductions from carbon emissions. Uh, that has been actually significant because of people working from home, essentially. Uh, there has been a rapid decline in aviation emissions. Uh, but overall aviation emissions have not been that large of a contributor in the total greenhouse gas emissions picture. However, they have been one of the fastest growing areas in the last five years. So aviation, because it has the potential for, for growth in the future, even though right now it's less than 5%, um, that's an area where the reset could consider ways in which we could adapt and not move towards the same level of growth in aviation. So there's some really interesting insights which come from the report by focusing on the, the lessons from the pandemic. Great, um, before we jump further into the details and the findings of the report, can you um, just describe to us what role you played with this report and other reports in the past? Yes, so in my role with the International Resource Panel, I'm, I reviewed the report uh, and in the past, I have also contributed uh, to chapters. Uh, in the last permutation of the report, uh, the International Resource Panel uh, also launched its own uh, assessment on how material efficiency can contribute to climate mitigation. So we had a section in the 2019 report that focused on um, resource efficiency, particularly material efficiency, and it's its linkages to greenhouse gas emission reductions. That uh, report is also now online at the, uh, the resource panel website, resourcepanel.org. It was led by Professor Edgar Hertwich at the Norwegian uh, Technical University. And uh, the policy section was led by Reid Lipset at Yale University. And uh, so that's another important complement to this report. Um, so, uh, that's how I've been involved. I also serve on the science panel for the Global Environment Facility. And so uh, we also get to interact with the UN Environment Program in, in my role there as well. Very interesting. Um, and thanks again for sharing your perspective and insight as a um, as person who pulls the report together. Um, you described a moment ago the 7% decline. And um, that means for me, one major takeaway of this gap report is not to be complacent, right? Like you said, that while that's good, 
that's not anywhere near enough. And like you said, we need to bounce forward, not bounce backward. Um, are there any other, when you look at the gap report, when you look at the findings, um, are there any trends or data points that are not related to the global pandemic that make you either especially concerned or especially optimistic for the future of emissions reductions? Well, overall, we have been seeing um, a general decline in the uh, emissions uh, among many of the advanced economies. Even in the United States, overall, we have been seeing a reduction. Uh, the targets are not likely to be met in terms of what the US had originally aspired towards when it was part of the Paris Agreement and will be rejoining soon. Uh, but that decline itself is a positive uh, aspect of the conversation. And that has been true uh, within the European Union. It's been true uh, in other countries as well. Um, so that gives us some hope, certainly. Um, we, we do need to be aware of the potential for disruptions that could change that. For example, we had a situation in Japan some years ago with the Fukushima uh, disaster, which took 51 nuclear power plants offline suddenly. And so Japan, which was otherwise on a very good target towards emissions reduction, had to go to natural gas and oil and coal and other sources. And so you had a rapid increase in emissions suddenly during that period, um, particularly due to natural gas transition. Um, so that can happen. So we have to be aware of that. I am concerned that with nuclear energy power plants are being closed. Uh, and uh, because of that, we will see it'll be much more difficult to meet the targets in the same way because nuclear energy, especially established installed nuclear capacity uh, has been a way by which we've been able to uh, provide uh, stable electricity without having to move to carbon intensive sources. Um, and so that's one to watch, definitely. Uh, I remain concerned uh, on how that's going to move forward. Great, thank you. Um, I just, I want to continue talking about the report and then maybe we can dive in more into your academic um, specialty and, and background. But when we're looking at the report, how should Congress process the findings? What are the top takeaways for policymakers? Yes, so one of the key takeaways for policymakers is that over 60% of the emissions can be linked to some kind of individual consumer choice. So we have to think about how can policies impact consumer choice and behavior. That has to do from everything with utility bills and choosing where your energy comes from and having those options to be able to have greener sources of energy to individual choices in travel and mobility. Um, to lifestyle choices uh, overall in terms of food consumption, uh, because that is, of course, a major source of growth for emissions. So policymakers have to recognize that just by focusing on the large infrastructure, uh, that is not going to be enough. That's part of the solution, but there is a considerable amount of challenge with, with regard to that. So. Um, so that, that would be one takeaway. The other uh, takeaway I would say is that 
there needs to be greater international cooperation and coordination. Uh, the G20 group of countries, the reason why the emissions gap report uses them in this uh, format is that um, they are a much more nimble group to work with compared to the full UN system with 193 countries. And because these G20 countries are the ones who are contributing such a large percentage, if there can be greater consensus among them, there is great opportunity. So every year there's a new chair of the G20 group of countries. This coming year is Italy. Uh, so the Italians will set the agenda for what the G20 does. Uh, that'll be important to consider. Uh, and uh, so US policymakers will need to work with the, the State Department officials who are in, in charge of environmental policy to make sure that they are interacting appropriately with uh, the G20. Um, when Sydney introduced you, um, you had a lot of titles uh, and a lot of affiliations. Um, when you're not working or thinking about the UN emissions gap report, um, what is your area of expertise at the University of Delaware or your other institutions? Um, um, what are you focused on in your other uh, lines of research and lines of inquiry um, when you're not working on the gap report or thinking about it? My research uh, focuses a lot on material flows and how uh, minerals and materials are impacting our transition to a green economy. So for example, if you consider solar and wind power infrastructure, in order for us to build that, we need a lot of metals, specific uh, kinds of minerals. Um, so my earlier research and my writing has been on the environmental and social impact of mining uh, so how can we resource the, the green infrastructure for this transition uh, without having um, social and environmental impacts across the supply chain from mines to markets? And what is the potential for a circular economy for those materials in order to uh, source the carbon mitigation transition? So that's been a key area for my research. And it's been one of the areas that's been neglected in the Paris Agreement. Paris Agreement doesn't really tell you, well, in order to have so much solar power or so much wind, we need to develop policies that are able to resource that. Uh, if we are going to have electric cars, we will need to have uh, large amounts of lithium or cobalt or graphite uh, and so on. So I look at much more of the industrial ecology of material flows that relate to uh, climate change mitigation. And um, Another report worth noting in this regard is uh, with the, the Global Environment Facility, we have just published in the last month a report on technology critical elements, we call them TCEs, which are needed to meet climate mitigation goals, uh, as well as many of the other aspects of extracting these metals, which could impact the environment in terms of biodiversity areas where they're extracted. So we have, for example, a, a huge global conversation on uh, deep sea mining uh, because the International Seabed Authority is currently uh, developing environmental regulations in order for countries to have uh, metals sourced from the deep sea. And uh, there is a lot of conflict around whether we should get the metals from the deep sea versus terrestrial sources. So that's another area of recent research for me is looking at those environmental conflicts and the trade-offs and the 
carbon footprint of extracting metals from the deep sea versus from terrestrial sources. That is so interesting. And honestly, it is something that I don't spend a lot of time thinking about. I never really think about the material flow through the, um, the whole economy. So thank you for the work that you're doing. And I also want to say thank you so much for coming and joining us to break down the UN emissions gap report and give us a little insight into the work that you do every day for climate change, for fighting climate change. Um, but Dan, do you have any other extra questions? Uh, I don't think I have any questions, um, but I think we may have some plugs um, that we may want to get out. Um, Dr. Ali, I've heard that you have been busy writing a book. Would you like to tell our audience about what your book is about and when they can expect it? Oh, thank you very much. Yes. So, you know, my earlier work has focused on material flows. I have a book called Treasures of the Earth, Need, Greed, and a Sustainable Future, which was published some years ago with Yale University Press. Uh, and this new book is uh, essentially a next step in my view of looking at the, the full panoramic considerations which we need in order to uh, transition towards a more sustainable society. And uh, the book is currently titled Earthly Order, How Natural Laws Define Human Society. Uh, it's uh, finished, but it's under review. Uh, so I'm hoping that it will be out by the end of the year. So stay tuned, those of you who are interested in uh, following me on Twitter, I'll uh, keep giving updates as well. So uh, looking forward to being in touch and following the work of your organization as well. Great. Well, congratulations um, uh, on, on your book and um, fingers crossed that it comes out uh, on schedule. I'm sure everyone, I'm sure it will add a lot to, um, to the conversation and, and, and make us all smarter about how we think about climate policy. Um, before I turn it over to Sid to close us out, uh, just a quick few plugs uh, for ESI. Uh, first, if you haven't already signed up for our biweekly newsletter, Climate Change Solutions, you should do that. We are recording this in between the start of the 117th Congress and the inauguration of uh, uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris. This means it's a very busy time for us with respect to congressional education. So we will be announcing lots and lots of briefings, including the first of a four-part series climate camp at the end of January. And the best way to stay uh, up to date of all things goings on uh, at ESI is to sign up for Climate Change Solutions, that newsletter. Uh, Dr. Ali, uh, thanks so much. It's great to see you. I'm going to turn it over to Sid to, to close us out. Um, really appreciate you joining us today. Pleasure. Yes, again, thank you. Um, but as always, if you want to learn more about EESI's work, head to our website at eesi.org. Also, be sure to follow us on social media at ESI online for all of our recent updates. The Climate Conversation is published as a supplement to our biweekly newsletter, Climate Change Solutions. Go to eesi.org slash sign up to subscribe. Thanks for joining us and see you next time. <laughs>